Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Wing Cup sweeps Abu Dhabi. Uh, three from three this weekend. Um, awesome achievement. And Verge Supercars hit Media Watch. That may or may not bother the Bulletin's readers. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Winkup has almost secured the 2013 V8 Supercar Championship following his three wins at the Asmarina Circuit last weekend. But Winkup is not talking championship just yet. Big shout out to uh, everyone at uh, Vodafone Australia who have had a pretty tough uh, last week. Um, yeah, we'd like to dedicate this one to you. And uh, fly home tonight. Looking forward to uh, having a bit of a rest, recovering um, for Winton in two weeks' time. Wing Cup now needs to claim four more points than Mark Winterbottom to wrap up the title. Talking Mark Winterbottom, he has been the target of a Twitter attack from MotoGP champ Casey Stoner. The tweet not only received an almost immediate response from Frosty, but then from HRT owner Ryan Walkinshaw and Shane Van Gisbergen. Many of the fans who responded also were supporting the Ford driver. Interestingly enough, Simon McNamara, the Holden Motorsport manager, was not one of Frosty's supporters. ABC's Media Watch has highlighted the Gold Coast Bulletin's coverage of this year's Gold Coast 600. The Media Watchdog questioned the potential conflict of interest between the content and the content provider. Not once is the association between the company that wrote the reports for the bully and the people and teams that get coverage declared. You can view the story at the ABC's website. It's the first time motorsport has featured on the show since Auto Action's Mark Webber story. Webber talked about that incident on Inside Motorsport when he was joined by Neville Wilkinson, the graphic designer that put his helmet inside the McLaren. I must have been on the infamous guy who put the helmet in the car, so... Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, I nearly fainted that day when I picked up uh, auto action, but that's all right, that's, uh, that's what goes around and comes around, so, <laughs> but it looked all right anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we, a few people rang us up and said, is that a real photo? Or, uh, yeah. I said, oh, no, we, uh, we kind of put that in, but we wanted to see what it looked like, and we thought it looked pretty good in there, actually, so yeah. we'd like to actually see that for real. That's right, well, so would I, just not on the front cover of, uh, <laughs> of something when I didn't do it, but that's all right, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's what happens, like I said, but anyway. Some stats from the weekend. And Wing Cup's VE Kate has become the most successful V8 supercar chassis in history, overtaking Ambrose's BA Falcon. And the weekend saw the VE Commodore become the first V8 supercar to win 100 races. Russell Ingall has now made over 500 race starts and Holden have 16 race victories wrapping up the Manufacturers' Championship. And finally, Todd Kelly has driven the Nissan Altima for the first time at Calder Park. Kelly, who's recovering from shoulder surgery, managed to do it all one-handed. I didn't really tip it into a corner uh, to feel what the car would do, and I've only got one arm at the moment (laughs) to steer the thing. So um, as far as what it feels like, it's just more about the look of the car. The transaxle and the the gearbox feels a lot different, the throttle uh, throw and response feels a bit different and obviously the engine but uh, that is good, it's good uh, to jump in, that's really the most different car I've driven in the last, well, since I raced open wheelers. And that's the news for Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au After the break it's Paul Marinelli and 
Ben Beasley joining me on the V8 Insiders. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Marinelli Motorsport, it's Paul Marinelli. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Craig. How are you doing? I'm very well, and I'm sure from Fox Sports News, Ben Beasley is also doing equally as well. Thank you. Always doing well. Yes, and uh, guys... He backed a winner today in the Melbourne Cup, so he's happy. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the amazing things is we do normally record this show on a Tuesday, and, uh, of course, I've managed to get two Melbourne guests on their day off. And, and not drunk. Well... <laughs> For Melbourne Cup Day, you know, I didn't I, go to the races. I've been working all day, just like Ben has. Well, guys, the <laughs> Melbourne Cup sweep, uh, the Melbourne Cup sweep, the Wing Cup sweep, is the championship over, Ben Beasley? Yes. <laughs> I'm, no. I'm sorry. He's, no. um, he, yeah, Paul won't agree. I mean, look, um, he's just not only been the best driver this year, he's the best driver right now. And... Um, Going to Winton, I can't see any real uh, weaknesses for him coming up. I think one of the, the biggest things for me out of Abu Dhabi was how clearly not only dominant he was, but how much, not just dominant over the field, but over his teammate. I don't think Craig Lowndes, he might have got one top ten finish in those three races. So Jamie's on his game. Um, he's now also in a position where he'll want to keep winning races, but he doesn't necessarily have to. You know, we're only... Uh, 600 points away from the end of the championship. I know his lead is less than 300, but uh, things really need to start to work in Mark Winterbottom's favour now more than any other time in the year. And the only other guy who can really get between himself and um, I'd say Jamie Winkup right now is Will Davison. So even if uh, Mark can win races, he can only really rely on you know, uh, Will Davison getting between him and Wing Cup because I just don't even think Clowns is quite as quick as Wing Cup is at the moment. Mm. Now, we do, should preface it by saying, uh, Paul, you are the manager of Mark Winterbottom and David Russell as well as all your media and commentary and other commitments that you do. So I'll, I'll ask yes. you now, Wing Cup. Yeah, let's make that very clear at the, very, at the yeah. start. Look, look, there's no doubt. There's only four. It's not five points that Jamie needs. It's four. Um, and it's most likely he's going to get them at Winton, isn't it? So um, while you never like to say never, the only thing that can save Mark now is for a, a complete and abject failure to happen to his car because he's too good a driver to just um, to bin it, uh, I think, at a place like Winton. Um, and if that happens, yes, the fight's on through to uh, Homebush, but uh, uh, if it doesn't, you know, it's going to be another Mark's second runner-up finish. It's not what he wanted, obviously. He's worked very, very hard this season as, as FPR, but um, it's one of those things. You know, as has been pointed out, Jamie, Jamie Winkup and Triple Eight, like them, loathe them, whatever, have been an absolute class act this year. And even when they were down and out for a little while there, they came back strong and hard. The only two teams to win races are them and FPR for the whole season, which is just extraordinary. And, um, you know, he, he, he is on top of his game, as Ben said. So, you know, you can't take that away from a, dri- a driver who's driven so, so superbly. And in regards to the gap between Craig and... Um, Jamie at Abu Dhabi. Uh, Craig's always been a long, longer distance specialist. He, he gets warmed up at around about the 12 to 15 lap mark. Uh, he's one of these drivers who really pushes hard in the second half of every race, if you look at it carefully, at, at the way he moves through the field. And those races did not help him at all. That, those formats, not only being ridiculous, but at, you know, just way too short. And uh, people like even Mark, you know, tyres were right up to their optimum performing temperature at around lap 11 anyway. <laughs> Particularly after a safety 
safety car. So it's just one of those things. And I think that um, yeah, it was a sad round for, for Craig, but uh, he's better over a long distance, there's no doubt. And Jamie, just superb form, what can you say? And Will Davison's on top of his game too, which has been good because that's pushed Mark Hart all year as well. But, uh, yeah, whether the championship's over, I'd like to wait to see what happens at Winton, but it's more than likely that uh, it is pretty much decided. Mm. Now, Paul, I ne- whilst you were talking about it, you touched on it. The 12 lap races, were they worth it? In my opinion, absolutely not. Like, you know, it's got to be the shortest ever championship round in the Australian Touring Car Championship of V8 Supercar history. It has to be. 2.5 hours of track on-track um, uh, driving. That's all we had for the whole round. You travel all that way for that. Uh, you know, some serious thought has to go into, you know, what went into the pre-planning for this, you know, what... You know, why did we only hear about this so so late in the piece as to the way the format was going to be? I won't even touch on what happened with the media aspect to it. We can get to that later. Um, but it just smacks to me of, of that not enough thought went into the whole process. And you can't say it's impossible to change because look what they achieved with the Australian Grand Prix, you know, to, to make it virtually a double header. Now, I wasn't expecting that, but I was certainly expecting better than, than, than what happened out there, the times that they were on, the heat, the fact that probably 150 people were watching. I mean... It's just embarrassing for our sport. It really is. One of the crazy things I thought, Ben, uh, before ahead of your comments on that, was the fact that we had to, after the finish of the V8 race, we had to wait, what, for four or five hours until the start of the Formula One? Yeah, it probably wasn't that long, but it wasn't that short either. I mean, I know that even in Melbourne, they have a window before the Grand Prix for the support categories to be finished by, and that's because they have some pre-race ceremonies and stuff like that. But there's also, there were situations years ago when they had maybe a race that finished an hour before the Grand Prix and there could have been an accident and the recovery and all that sort of stuff pushed the time back at the Grand Prix. So they, they have a, I think it might be a two or two and a half hour window, so they all have to work in. The whole thing about what happened in Abu Dhabi was, I think V8 thought they were going to get two 200 kilometre races. The circuit over there had promised them that, but... I don't know if anybody actually spoke to Formula One about it, because I think that's, this is where this has all seemed to have happened. The circuit has promised something, V8s have said, you beauty, and then they've got to a point some weeks ago where Formula One has said, uh, no, every support category, if you have a look in Europe, you have a look at what happens even at the Grand Prix in Australia, it's around a maximum of 30 minutes on track time for any category. In Europe, mostly it's GP2, GP3, Carrera Cup, that sort of thing. It all fits in like that. But then to have this come around, this was going to be a very different uh, support program for Formula One. And I'm not sure if that was clearly explained to Formula One management because they just came down and said, here's the deal. And then they've probably shown that to the circuit and reminded them of their contract. (laughs) And that's what's happened. So to go all that way, like you say, for three 12-lap races, and at one stage it was only going to be two races. So that was negotiated to get an extra race in there. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the other thing, though, it is Abu Dhabi we're talking about, and the sanction fee they'd be paying um, FI, the FIA or FOA, Bernie Eccleston's mob, would be absolutely enormous. We all know that, right? That gives them a bit of muscle. And to think that nobody at, 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 you know, leading up to the event actually had a look at this or dealt with it or the circuit didn't deal with it, with the money that they're spending, you know, there, there could have been some sort of um, something sorted out. There had to have been. I mean, we're not talking about a, um, a venue that couldn't afford to make things different to, to suit their, their purposes, you know, and uh, I just think that they're just smacks of a whole stack of disorganisation from all parties involved and, yeah, quite, as I said, embarrassing for the sport. It's a shame, you know, I'd like to see the sport growing overseas, but, you know, images like that, you have a look at some of the websites around the world and some of the comments they've made about, you know, no one being there and, and all the rest of it. It's just it's just rough. It was rough enough when we, when we went to Bahrain and no one was, uh, was, was there to watch us, but uh, this was exactly the same, where we were all, all expecting being twinned with an F1 event, that it would actually be a big crowd and have a bit of fun and lead into F1 and, and getting a bit dark on the track. It was nothing like that. It was the complete opposite. And, uh, yeah, not not happy, Jan, on this side of the fence anyway. Mm. Uh, I didn't go. Uh, yeah, and the other thing was, that especially on the Saturday, look, the timing for the races for Australia was pretty good. You know, you had one race, I think, at 5 and then the other one at nearly 7 p.m. and, the, and Channel 7 or 7, mate, showed the second one live. That was great. And then also then on Saturday night, the race was 8.30. And once again, really good timing. Mm. But 
there was still so much time to play with in the day, and and you could tell that there was nothing else happening. Um, obviously after the, the V8s because there was nobody there and it was hot and you wouldn't expect a crowd to go there and sit in no. the stands. Now, I know some people who at the start of the year when they heard about this, you know, oh, this twin race, this is going to be terrific, they parted with a lot of hard-earned money and they were sold on a furphy. Now, that's not good enough. You know, they were told and even on, you know, in publicity, it was still called the Yas 400 up until yeah. I think three or four days before the event. Yeah. Then what does 400 yeah. represent? It never certainly didn't represent 400 kilometres because it's no, not even close to what we got. 400 Cochranometers. Yeah. No, it's not his fault. It's unfair to blame him. It's not his fault. I don't think. But uh, but still, it's it's yeah. It, it was not a good look for the sport at all. And you know, I'm sure that the drivers will honour their agreements in their um, contracts that state they can't put down the sport. But funny, the sport can put them down. But we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, uh, and not say negative things about it, but at the end of the day, I mean, honestly, who, who could be, besides Triple Eight and the results they got in the championship points haul they got for limited wear on their cars, who could be happy with what, what took place on the weekend? Mm. And, of course, uh, there is another thing what we haven't touched on is the, the teams had to pay for their way back because it wasn't yes. doubled. So this year was the first time they had to pay the freight at least one way. Yeah. Oh, yep. yep, yep, $2.5 million. In total, yeah, it, it, because the deal with Bahrain included one paid for the trip up, one paid for the trip back. They didn't get an international to replace the Bahrain event, therefore the teams, all the you know, V8 supercars, all the stakeholders had to pay that cost of returning the freight, two point five million dollars. Mm. Ben, well, that's that's even more ridiculous, and I can understand. I heard some comments from drivers, uh, Jonathan Webb, who didn't cover himself with glory with others. others with his um, other colleagues in the paddock, but he did make one comment at the end of an interview with Mark Beretta where he, he called the whole thing ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cost them a lot of money to go that way. And then there were, were guys like um, the Kelly Racing and also Brad Jones Racing and, and even Dick Johnson Racing, which incurred, you know, significant damage for the second event in a row. So then, you know, for that, mm-hmm. you know, you'd almost have to work out... What what's the penalty for not turning up to a race? It's probably pretty pretty close to what they ended up forking out. Well, it's yeah, two hundred and fifty thousand per car. It's two hundred and fifty thousand per car, and uh, if you've got a fifty sixty thousand dollar repair bill and uh, whatever you that, uh, well what what's your share of your two point five million dollar transport? Mm. You get and you've got a sponsor that you might be able to not uh, even advertise in the region. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, we... that, that's the other. That's the other thing too. I mean, I respect the, the local customs and laws, and, and you know that that's fine. That's all okay. But put yourself in the sponsor's shoes for 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 one moment here. You know, you get told you're on the seven network, but you're not. You're on seven mate and the seven network, so you're on both. But one is ten percent of the audience of the other. Uh, you're told, you know, that you've got all these events in the calendar, but some of them your signage will have to be removed at. I mean, you know, we've just got to get our act together better in this sport. We really do. I mean, they wonder why the sponsorship's at an all-time low. I can tell you why, because I sit in meetings with them, and they tell me exactly the things I'm telling you. Mm. We need to take a break here on the Van Insiders. Back with plenty more on our return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Ben Beasley and Paul Marinelli joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys, uh, we've been talking about Abu Dhabi. And I guess uh, before we start talking about some of the other things that happened in the race, I've got to ask you, is Abu Dhabi or any other non-Australasian race worth it? Ben? Well, I think if you compare them up with some other... I mean, they've always spoken about trying to get around three overseas races. I mean, the big test next year will clearly be Texas and see how that will run. Um, And I think one of the issues in some of the regions that they talk about is that 
Okay, Formula One goes there and they have to run other categories throughout the year, so V8 is a very good fit. It's an affordable fit for a lot of these places. But in those regions, what is the real lifespan of continually going there? And um, Bahrain, we went uh, four times, I think, in the end, three or four times, and then it sort of became a little bit of, you know, yep, been there, done that, and then move on. And then Abu Dhabi is a little bit the same. You know, we've, we've got to do more than turning up or, 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 in, or entrenching the culture of V8 supercars into these areas to make pe- people want to follow it, be part of it, and not just turn up for three or four days out of 365 and think that the people are going to go, yeah, your beauty V8s are back in town. It, it, it takes a lot more than just rolling up with the show. You've you've got to make people far more enthusiastic about it, and that's why... And it, uh, domestic series will always work a lot stronger because we race every fortnight in the same time zones, got the same cultures, obviously, and um, it visits the corners of the country, so it hits all the markets. It's when you're sort of going overseas and you're trying to reinvent yourself. I mean, we aren't a world championship category, and the only real category that can really do it is Formula One. At the same stage the other day, the world touring cars were on at the Shanghai circuit in, in China, and you want to see a place that looks empty... Uh, when nobody's watching, have a look at that race. And this is the World Touring Car Championship. Mm. You know, yeah. it's very, very difficult, you know, once you get past Formula One and then even MotoGP to the next group of um, World Championship categories, let alone a domestic series that's wanting to do racing overseas. So mm. it, it's a tough call and um, there's a lot of short-term benefits, but I, I'm not really sure about long-term, and long-term is anything past five years. Mm. Now, Paul, the, you... Countries that we trade with here in Australia, China, Southeast Asia, these are the countries we should be looking at. These are the countries that the sponsors have got some interest in being in. A lot of the marketing for Australia is run out of Southeast Asia for many of these companies. Um, and New Zealand, you know, you can count it almost as like a part of Australia as well. You know, I mean, the, you know, the, the obvious benefits are there. Uh, but that's where, where I think the focus should be. I've got nothing against going to, to different events and, and those different countries. It's all great. But in terms of the marketing benefits, for the sponsor or the benefits, the long-term benefits for the sport, as Ben has touched on uh, in, in good detail, uh, really you've got to question all, all of that. Mm. Now, this was three rounds of the championship, which Jamie Winkup won, and uh, I, I think most people would have thought Saturday was lacklustre, Sunday was a wreck fest, and uh, I guess everyone's so happy to hear that uh, Carl... Reinler was able to get out of the car and get away when, for the second time in two years, his car has gone up like a fireball. Ben? Yeah, well, he obviously was really impressive because it impressed the trackside workers who stood back and watched it. And yeah, that was um, unbelievable, wasn't it? Unbelievable. You know, very, very slow response. And then also... Um, the guys, when they got there, these cars do have onboard extinguishers now. I'm not 100% sure if an onboard extinguisher, because it's usually sort of more into the cabin and then into the um, under the uh, under the bonnet, not necessarily external, the boot. External, external as well. well. Yeah, it would have helped. That's right. But obviously, not necessarily. It's the driver's job always to operate that. But if the officials didn't know what to do, and then. Uh. One of the funniest shots I saw was a car being loaded on the back of a truck and there was a V8 official there with a fire extinguisher still um, dousing some, fire out. Some, yeah. from yeah. smouldering um, flames out the back of the car. Now, you know, yeah, that's that's not much chop and that's a very expensive exercise. The the guys, I don't... It just seemed to be that in that last race it was a little bit of, you know, go and get them, which seemed to come about from the fact that there was guys cutting curbs in the previous two races and nothing was really happening about it. So that just seemed to open the, the, the doors for guys to have a big go. And um, uh, Jonathan Webb obviously um, got into the back of Jason Bright, turned him around and, and that sort of stuff, which drew a lot of comment. But he was ultimately not just disqualified from the race for that. But then once he did his drive-through and he was trying to make up ground, he was cutting corners again, which was what really, in the end, the officials just said that's not good enough. So I don't know if there's a communication breakdown with these guys or what's going on or they were just fed up, maybe all the above, <laughs> you know. It, uh, it, it just didn't deliver. And, you know, they were hoping they were going to have this like we had in the qualifying race at Sandown. But 
different circuits, different set of circumstances. Um, and then the scary, one of the other things on the Sunday race was you had a safety car. They really, they nearly very ran out of time to complete that race. It only just yep. got in by a handful of seconds to do 12 laps. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and I think desperation set in in that last race. The, they, the drivers realised just how short these races really are and thought, gee, if I don't make up ground from the very start, I'm not going to get anywhere. And it just led to chaos and bedlam, as it usually does. If you remember the old three 20-minute three 20, uh, sprint races we used to have um, in the old days of the Touring Car Championship, it was very much like that. Once you got to the third race, it was just madness. Um, and I think a bit of that sets in because everybody wants to get points. It's towards the end of the season. Drivers are trying to secure their seats and so forth or get better ones. Um, they're going to try and get a result, but, you know, it just ends up in, in carnage, as, as, as we saw. I mean, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And as you say, very lucky for Carl, Carl Ryan, but, but talk about deja vu. I mean, feeling heat, in, you know, and the passenger side of the car again and thinking, here we go again. But I am convinced, Ben, that those guys who came out with the extinguishers eventually didn't even have a clue where the extinguisher uh, button was on the car. They, they didn't even go anywhere near it. It was at the front of the car. It wasn't where the car was burning. Um, and it's, yeah, lucky nobody was hurt, that's all. Mm. Guys, it was interesting that uh, Bridie fired the first salvo with a uh, comment about uh, daddy, money and officials. Uh, not Well, it was probably somewhere near that order, but uh, it, should he be penalised for having an opinion is my question because the media would be the first ones to jump up and down if this stuff starts to get, uh, starts to get quashed again. Well, I think Bridie's comments were based on the fact that um, his teammate Fabian Colsart had said on the Saturday who was battling with Webb, he said the guy was cutting corners all, all race. And then the officials just sort of said, nah, that was all part of racing and that sort of thing. So I think there was some frustration built up there. And then it just happened to be the same guy who then hit Bridie. So it's a very easy, um, you know, he was obviously upset about that. But then the crack at um, being a, a, a young, rich kid um, was always going to come into it. And it's a, it's a fairly easy way to say things. It's funny, a lot of these, th- a lot of these comments have been firing out on Twitter so now that they're actually starting to say them with their voices in front of cameras now is um, is quite funny. And good for the sport, Paul. Well, it's an interesting point because, you know, it's it's touchy. You know, all the drivers in their contracts have to sign an addendum that um, from V8 Supercars Australia, and, and that's all about, you know, conduct and this and that. And one of them clearly says that you can't say anything that brings the sport into disrepute, blah, 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 blah. And, yes, you're right, they have turned the blind eye to it uh, many times because, they you know, the sports lacked heroes and villains. It lacked controversy, you know. That's the sort of things the media jumps on. But interesting to note that hardly any media jumped on that comment that Brody made. Uh, it was very, very direct. Um, uh, it's, you know, they've all been jumping on all manner of other things that have been going um, uh, through social media, but certainly not on that. And a couple of other drivers that did the same thing. I don't blame them. I think it's good that they come out and say what they feel, but I think once you start accusing officials of taking bribes, which is basically what was said, even if it was tongue-in-cheek, it, it's a bit, that's a bit out of line, you know. I mean, but... Um, yeah, what do you do? You know, you want them to talk, and then you know, we we muffled them, or the sport muffled them too much years ago, and we're still trying to get over that now, trying to get their their personalities out there. Uh, the thing that I can't tolerate with social media is, or with um, texting and so forth is to go out there and and to say things that you haven't got the balls to say to the driver directly or the person directly, uh, but it's all right to say it to hundreds of thousands of people online. You know, that's just, in my opinion, just cowardly and stupid. All right, well, you've jumped ahead to a topic I was going to cover a bit later on, but uh, Ben, of course, uh, I guess we're getting into the area where the Twitter comment from Casey Stoner, who hasn't turned a racing lap in a V8 supercar yet, thinking that uh, Frosty's driving was amateurish. Yeah, and and Frosty obviously got onto his phone pretty quick to reply to it as well, Um, which was quite interesting. Um, and then, of course, it went through. It goes through a whole different tact of terms of getting under the skin of other teams, because then it starts not just to be about, you know, that's Casey's comment, but Casey's been hanging out with with the Triple Eight guys for the last eighteen months. So it starts to then turn into a comment about not just Casey, but then about um, you know the Triple Eight operation and all that sort of stuff, and a lot of other things get called into question and. Um, but when you're a um, 
two-time MotoGP world champion, you carry a little bit of, I wouldn't, it's not credibility, but obviously some presence and stuff like that. And if you've got a lot of people following you, it's very easy to, for, the, for people to go, wow, have a look at what this guy is saying. Mm. I think one of the interesting things was uh, some of the personal opinions that have been coming in on it. Um, Simon McNamara from Holden supported it. But then Ryan Walkinshaw, who owns Holden Racing Team, didn't support the Casey Stoner comment. So if we're going to be fed income here, we've got to continue that line of letting people say their own thing. Because obviously if, if Casey is going to be driving for Triple Eight and he's going to be driving a Holden in the future, then um, it's not generally being supported all around, not just necessarily by um, opposition brands at this stage. So it is interesting and um, maybe... Maybe in MotoGP circles, um, a comment like that would probably be ignored by another rider or team. But in good old Aussie V8s, no, the drivers are quick to come back on it. But like Paul said, hey, come and say that. You know, maybe the the, the more more thing would be to you know say it in the public domain using your voice either to camera or to each other, then it would be very interesting. Well, we all remember Tasmania when uh, Stephen Richards and Rick Kelly had that little push and shove in the pit lane. That was the bigger story than the racing at Simmons Plains, which Lowndes, you know, absolutely smashed everyone at. Yeah, and the whole thing is, if you really want to make a comment and make sure people are seen... Do it in the public. Do it, make sure some cameras are around and all that sort of stuff, and then you, you will get some coverage if that's what you're after. Is this good for the sport, Paul? Well, you know, I'm pretty close to the subject matter here, but uh, one, look, I think the only thing that can be said is that uh, absolutely stunned that, that Casey would, would, would make a comment like that, particularly wanting to get into the sport as well. I mean, I have never seen any driver, particularly from the motorcycle ranks, come into the V8s and dominate straight up. You know he's going to get hosed at some stage, and you know this is all going to come back and, and bite him if he does uh, eventually uh, come back, come in and drive. So he's made himself a little bit of a target. Uh, secondly, he's, he's an international and an Australian sporting hero. He's got you know, a huge amount of fans all around the world and, and in Australia, of course, so he can he can reuse that to be able to say these things and think that oh nothing can happen blah blah blah. But if you look at some of the responses that have been across Facebook, I've been amazed by some of the things that people are saying about what happened. And and as Ben said, I, I almost I couldn't believe that Ryan Ryan Walkinshaw. I thought that was fantastic, but I couldn't believe that he went to that trouble given that it's not even one of his drivers. But but it just goes to show that that there is support out there for our guys. Uh, if you're going to go and put shit on them, make sure that you can deliver when the time comes and as Mark said oh, he looks forward to racing him and I look forward to when he races him as well and then we'll talk about who's the amateur or not but uh, um, I have no doubt Triple A put him up to it no doubt whatsoever they've been doing it all season they're trying everything to get into Mark's head it's nothing's worked um, he's their only rival now and they'll keep doing it till the very end and that's just their style it's a very European way of doing your racing of going for the, the, psych, the psych aspect as well as the, um, um, the racing aspect and the thing that really bugs me about the whole thing is that Jamie Winkup won three straight races. They clean swept the round. They, they did a, their job to perfection. Absolute class act. You don't see them saying, Jamie, well done, fantastic, what a great effort on social media all around the world and all around Australia. No. You see them call Mark Winterbottom an amateur for touching the cross, which the official said there was nothing wrong with. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievable. It is an interesting. Uh, it is an interesting way the world's going. Hey, we need to take a break. We'll be back with the white flag lap right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X magazine. V8X magazine dedicated to just one thing: V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, the white flag lap. But uh, whilst we haven't talked much about car racing on this show, we've certainly talked a lot about V8 supercars. And Ben Beasley, uh, you were out there at Calder Park when the first laps of the Nissan were were conducted. And, of course, uh, Todd Kelly couldn't resist. He had to go in there and try and do everything one-handed. He did. It was even interesting trying to see how he could get into the race car because um, it's his... Now, I'm pretty sure it's the right shoulder. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember this because he did say that he had to drive left-handed 
and then put his hand right hand on the wheel when he went to change up or down in the gears. So it was good. You know, it was um, but it was a very big week for that whole program to unveil the car and then straight into it. You know, that's there, there is no mucking around with that program in terms of what they know they need to do to make the start line at the Clipsal 500 on the first weekend of March or the last couple of days of February. They've got a huge job ahead of them. Everything's got to be signed off. And Todd, Todd gave the comment that there's 23,000 man-hours to get to that stage just to hear the thing start up. And probably the more interesting thing for me is, of course, the car looks different to a Falcon and a, and, um, a Commodore, but it's got a different sound, and I think that's something we've really missed um, for such a long time as a distinctive sound difference between our race cars. Yeah, it's got a V8 sound and stuff like that, and people might argue watching the television it kind of sounds the same, but they also had running around there a, um, a Commodore as a benchmark. It was one of the um, uh, Dunlop series cars, and, and you could really notice, yeah, there is a, a quite a difference between these cars, and so if you can get an audible difference, you know, that's part of the package that um, they really want with these new cars for next year. Um, the cars themselves, I've seen the Commodore and the Falcon, obviously, the prototype cars, and also I've seen the um, the FPR car, which is done up in the EcoBoost colours, and the HRT car was even on display at Bathurst. But this car is quite different inside in terms of how the layout is done. Um, everything to make it all fit and work is, is quite um, unique. So it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to see, and it's good to see that um, they're really getting involved with, um, you know, getting this car out on the track. And they're very, very public about it as too, as well. You know, um, showing the car off is one thing, you know, then having the car do the test run. Yes, it was a private test, but it was always the intention to send pictures out that day to make sure people were seeing what's going on, which is also quite a, a big risk that if there was any failures, but they weren't going to get to that point unless they were confident that the car was going to be able to be run and run properly. Paul, it's it's interesting that uh, they also managed to do it when most of their competition was out of the country. Yes, yeah. and, uh, very, very good timing to, to do it <laughs> when you think about it uh, in, in that regard. But look, it's a great-looking rig. I love the look of the car. Uh, from what I hear, it goes really well. Um, Dave Russell, the other driver I take care of, was was going to test that car the day before, but unfortunately it wasn't ready. Um, so Todd had to do the duties himself. Um, himself. But uh, look, uh, from what I can see and what I've seen so far, it, it looks like a great rig, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it out on the track in a true factory-backed uh, effort too. Um, and I think the AMGs will sound pretty wild as well but uh, it'll be interesting to see and um, they've done a great job I mean they've had to work all season obviously on their own thing and uh, on their own team but to get this up and running in the short time that they have is a credit to them and I wish them all the best it's a great looking car well finally on the show we do need to touch about the V8 supercars and media and Ben of course uh, media watch one day and journalists the day before not even being able to get into pit lane for the V8s that they were supposed to be covering was uh, the, the story before that. It's, it's amazing where trying to cover this sport is becoming an event in itself. Yeah, um, not a lot of journalists went over to Abu Dhabi to cover it, but because, again, it was a Formula One event, they needed to have Formula One accreditation. Now... When you have Formula One accreditation, you actually need to turn up, is one thing. So you just couldn't blanket, apply for accreditation, this guy, look, I'm not going. So um, there was limited people who went. And then again, with this sort of mix-up with what was going on with um, the organisers, Formula One and V8 Supercars, on the first part of it, the journalists who went over but had to work out of the Formula One media centre couldn't access the V8 paddock to report on the V8s. Now... That was sorted out afterwards, but it just it left a lot of bad taste in people's mouths, and, and um, at least Mark Fogarty wrote in The Age about just how poorly that was all done. So if that's coverage coming out, you know, 
that's just not not good enough, not not good coverage and not good enough to have not even considered what all that thing what all that was going to happen there. Mm. Now, Paul, yeah, the reports I've heard have been the same, Ben. That um, you know, just the only word for it is massively disorganised in terms of, of who goes where. And yes, Formula One played a big part in, in in determining what happened here. But you can't tell me that in the lead up before this, that that not, you know there wasn't time to try and investigate solutions before they got there. Not oh, hey, this is the situation. I think two two weeks before the FIA cut off to try and get journalists FIA accredited, then to not let them in the area, then each. Each car, each team, or each car was given three tickets to watch F1 from the stands while they were there racing. So this didn't apply to the Grand Prix itself. Three tickets for what, 25 people <laughs> on each car? It was just, you know, Mark went back to the hotel and watched it. You know, he's 20 minutes away from the event. And he watched it from the hotel, as many other people did. And you just got to, you just got to wonder at the end of the day. I mean, it wouldn't have been that hard to sort out. But when we're trying to get journalists on our side, when we're taking them all that way at the team's expenses as well. To, to do this, to try and get us more coverage and then to make life as difficult as possible um, and to ask journalists to work out of their hotel rooms, which I believe was the case, and you just, you just got to, you really got to wonder, don't you? I mean, you know, how much thought was really put into it, but uh, not good enough. And if you look at the Gold Coast 600 and how few journalists were there, I was stunned. I've never seen it like that before. You know, if anything, our sport's suffering badly in terms of um, uh, media coverage out there, and we need to do more to, to encourage media to attend on, on the basis of how good the sport is. And I know it's hard these days. It's not easy. There's not many, um, there's not many resources in newsrooms around the country to, to make this happen. But, you know, more needs to be done. And uh, I think the whole Labor Derby experience for the, for, the, for the guys who went, yeah, just just a headache from what I've heard. I wasn't there myself. I made that clear. But from what I've heard, it's just not the way it should be done. Mm. Now, Ben, we've known each other a bloody long time now. You've worked out of a regional news office a uh, metropolitan uh you've worked in metropolitan news you've worked in pr you're now doing stuff uh independently for fox sport news the change in the media landscape and the change in the numbers of media available is one of the biggest things that all sports are coming to terms with and afl has more journalists accredited than they have players registered and that's probably the only sport where that's now the case yeah, it is hard, and um, a lot of um, there's lots of syndication, obviously, um, but it's not impossible. And I think I one of the I issues agree. one of the issues that is happening is there's always been your key journalists who you know you need to influence, and that's important. But where they are sometimes struggling as well is they are struggling to get their stories in their own um, group of either papers or radio or television networks. You know, you're up against a lot of things. Right now, the focus is on the spring racing carnival, and then the end of this week, we've got the first cricket test with Australia and South Africa. You have these cycles, and even to the point, V8 Supercars has its time as well, and that's Bathurst. You see the amount of media and coverage that comes out of that race. It's enormous, but we're not taking the best advantage, I guess, as the sport out of that week to make people understand that there's still more racing after that. And, you know, I, I think Bathurst is the biggest, biggest race. It's the greatest race. But for it not to be at the end, it's very, very confusing for the media to think that, wow, you know, you've just done 1,000 kilometres. What are you guys doing until next year? Uh, we've got another four or five race meetings. And <laughs> the general media goes, pardon? But when did you start? And you go, well, back in February. When do you end? In December. Hang on, do you mean January is the only month of the year that you don't race? Mm. And I know that there might be 10 or 12 weeks between that, but um, being from Melbourne, AFL footy starts in March and it finishes in the last weekend of September. Well, AFL season's finished such a long time ago now that pre-season training for next year has already started. So your, your Melbourne media is then going... Oh, okay, back into footy, even though footy's not yep. until, you know, four or five months away. It's just like that. But there's less people covering it, there's, there's um, and, and um, sport as a whole, but they've still got to fill the same amount of pages. Mm. So, you know, that's where uh, in Melbourne, for instance, football is so easy to do. You've got seven or eight clubs based around, you know, the Victorian area. So that's, that's what they go for.
Hmm. Now, Paul, yep. you you are considered probably the best of the journos that uh, sorry the best of the media people who were working as team PR. How did you look at your relationships? Because the writer can only write the story. The editor is the person that designates how many column inches you get. Did you focus more on editor relationships or were you purely going for journalist relationships? I focused on both. Uh, I also used our sponsors uh, and their advertising muscle to help us uh, get more coverage as well. But I'd be taking out um, editors uh, as often as I could, bringing them to races at our expense, um, trying trying to do whatever I could to get to people at the top to recognise what we were doing, to then give us more c- column inches. And it, and it worked very, very well, I must say. Luckily, I was with a team that had the budget to be able to do some of that, that, that sort of thing. But the other thing that worked equally as well is looking at your sponsor base and saying, how much money do you spend with News Limited? How much money do you spend with Channel 9? How much money do you spend with Channel 10? Both. and going in on that angle as well. And then you've got the sales manager pushing the news guy, look, you've got to give these guys some more coverage because we're going to lose our deal if you don't. And that that worked very well as as well, the almighty dollar. Um, But we never paid for coverage. We never did anything like that. We just worked really, really hard on on journalists as well, on -on one-on-one, making sure that everybody got the same level of service, but that the people above them too, and a lot of them told you to go away, that weren't interested in coming to events, that weren't interested in corporate hospitality or anything. You know, that happens. But there were other guys that you got helicoptered into Phillip Island to take a look at a test day and, and you know, things like that that, that, that get them to realise, gee, you know, look at all the... Like Eclipsal, for example, you know, they look at the crowd and say, my God, look at this. And most of the time, they've they just got no idea of how big the sport is. And that, that that's the fault of all of us in the sport, I suppose, or the sport itself, not penetrating the media enough or the people in the senior roles in the media to understand just how big and how much money's in invest in this sport and how many people it employs and, and the show itself. It's a damn good show most of the time, except for Abu Dhabi, of course. <laughs> but it's a damn good show, you know, and, and you've got all these guys out there, you know, driving their guts out. You know, it's just, it's an incredible thing. I think the only the only other touring car category that comes close to it is DTM, but if you look at the gaps in DTM between first and, and even the top ten, it's ridiculous compared to ours and how close it is all the way through the field. Um, but you know, I just what we did was work on the people in the senior roles, but also the journalists as well. Did whatever we could to furnish them with heaps of information, and take advantage of the times that AFL were not playing. Um, at times when, when 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 it was down in sport, that's when we'd really bombard them, and it used to work a treat because, as Ben said, they've still got the space to fill. Now that becomes even more important because they've still got the space to fill, and nobody to to, to write it all up and do it. So, mm. or very few people to write it up and do it because they keep sacking people all the time. So. Um, you know, with enough work, with enough hard work, as Ben said, it's not impossible. I've seen it with small teams. I've seen it with big teams. You know, you can get the exposure. You've just got to work damn hard to get it. Mm. Now, Ben, uh, I'll preface this by saying last year and I think the year before you worked and had a contract uh, through BAM Media to provide television newsreel, video news service, and this year you're not. So, But I'll preface my comment to you, letting people know that that backstory. The difference between this year and the last two years has really been stark because it's now really only Seven and Speed and Fox Sport that is covering V8s again, although last year when you were putting out video news packages, they got a lot more spread across Nine, Ten and and, uh, SBS. Yeah, I mean, look, we still do some work for some teams and some sponsors um, around events but we don't have the access to the track. So to do the same sort of thing, you know, it's not going to, uh, you know, a lot of pre-event, I guess, um, news stuff we can send out. But once the event's on, from a television perspective, it's really relying on the networks, you know, watching and following the races and picking up everything that they need. The um, it, Look, it hasn't been as... Uh, widely covered as it had in the last couple of years. I think some of the um, stuff, not just on the weekend, but some of the colour stories in between events, that sort of thing as well, just to keep the message going. And that's the important thing, keeping the message going. And look, sometimes you're not necessarily getting the stories at the time, but then it all helps later down the track. And um, I can tell you, like at Bathurst this year, I had all the networks calling me saying, oh, yeah, you sent out a couple of stories before the event. That was on behalf of some teams. Um, so when the event starts, where do we get our vision from? 
and where do we get this, where do we get that, where are we going to get these extra interviews? Well, I said, you need to talk to V8 Supercars Television, that's all going back through there, which is really relying on the coverage. Um, and they sort of said, oh, okay, so it's not going to be delivered to us? And that's a key word, delivered to them. I said, no, you've got to go and get it. And so, you know, yes, that's as easy from a television perspective as pressing record on the on the station at the time, but uh, are you relying on a journalist who can sit down for the whole afternoon and watch all the on-track stuff with the qualifying and everything, or is that journalist having to actually do three jobs at once? You don't know. And it's so, then it's pretty obvious that then when you see some coverage that night and they say Jamie Winkup on pole... It's a standard car crossing the line, checkered flag waving. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter that before that, in the previous practice session, two cars ended up upside down. They probably mm-hmm. didn't even know that happened. So how would they know that happened? You know, that's a pretty pretty broad example. But there's a lot of detail in there that it, that does get missed, and um, that's uh, that's a loss for the sport, but something that's um, a gain for some teams that are willing to invest. In, in having some stuff done pre-event to make sure that, you know, they are, in essence, getting the extra bit of publicity that otherwise is going to be lost. And you've got to remember, most of these racetracks are remote, in remote in terms of, you know, again, I'll draw the, the football example. People say in Melbourne, geez, Collingwood get a lot of coverage. Collingwood train at Gosh's Paddock, which is next to the MCG, which is in the CBD of Melbourne, you know, it can't get any easier than that for the media to come and cover them. To expect them to go a few hours down the road to Phillip Island or up to Winton or out to Queensland Raceway, um, all these sort of places, that's a big, big ask for the media. If they, Unless they're going to have a really red-hot story to go and follow, why would they turn up? So you've got to really press that pre-event stuff, have enough stuff out there happening, and uh, then get into the race from a PR perspective. The race is the one thing you can't control. You can control some stuff either side of the race weekend. And once it's in the race, then you've got to rely on the media covering the race itself. Mm. Mm. Well, guys, it's a pleasure to catch up with you both. And uh, thanks for spending the extra time with us here on the V8 Insiders this week. And we're looking forward to what will be a much more exciting and longer Winton race weekend in a week or so's time. Thank goodness. Yeah, I reckon Winton, yeah, I think Winton will be good. You know, Winton in November, it might be nice, sunny. A day up in the country could you, be better. You're going to camp there, Ben? Yes, no. You can, you can camp there. It's uh, uh, the only sprint round this season that you can camp at. Yes, and I, I think the Ben's answer was, I've got a few too many teeth to be... Oh, he won't be camping there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah look, look, uh, I will. Uh, <laughs> no, look, it's, it's going to be a fun event, and it's going to be nice to see everyone back home and... Uh, competing in an event that's worthy of them being there, that's for sure. Mm. Guys, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Good on you. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.